the confirmation hearings steam forward, the definitions of words change, and a new report suggests that Joe Biden's been aligned to the American people. My name is Jonathan Hewitt, and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show. Wouldn't it be nice for just one day, one day for social justice not to permeate through every levels of our foundation in America? It's incredibly annoying that everything that we do today has some form of social and offensive ramification to the American people. But anyway, with that being said, um, we'll continue down like the last two episodes talking about the Federalist Papers. For those of you who don't know, Federalist Papers, in my opinion, are probably one of the most important documents to American history. Um, In today's Federalist 3, which is a continuance of Federalist 2 about foreign forces and what his like meaning and want behind how to make a strong nation continues. I'm going to do this one a little bit different than I did the last two. I will, I'm not just going to read and quote him. I'm going to tell you what I, how I interpret it and what it really means. And then we'll quote it a few times along the way. So Federalist 3, if I was to just give a blanket statement about what it's about, is going to be the best way to protect the nation and America from just wars and causes. So that is the overarching kind of theme on what John Jay sets for this one. And he does this by pretty much trying to say that America will be stronger under one united entity rather than 13 colonies or three or four confederacies that it was at the time. That he recognized, Jay, recognized that America would be stronger under one. And that the point of this was, was the federal government was meant to proceed over bigger items, while the state and domestic government was supposed to do just that, proceed over domestic issues, things like resources and other things that are being directly involved with the people. While the federal government was meant for the defense of the nation and to work treaties and foreign trade, things like that. So you see this primarily in a quote where he says, because when once an efficient national government is established, the best men in the country will not only consent to serve, but also will generally be appointed to manage it. For although town or country or other contracted influence may place men in state assemblies or senates or courts of justice or executive departments, yet more general and extensive reputation for talents and other qualifications will be necessary to recommend men to offices under the national government. So I'll pause right there. So right there you see him stating that there are some people that will be more qualified to be 
in the national government as compared to those of the lower government. So he'll, he continues, especially as it will have the widest field of choice and never experience that want of proper persons, which is not uncommon in some of the states. Hence, it will result that the administration, the political councils, and the judicial decisions of the national government will be more wise, systematically, and judicious than those of the individual states, and consequently more satisfactory with the respect to other nations, as well as more safe with respect to us. So he states outright that federal government, ambassadors, foreign affairs, foreign defense, that the federal government is better equipped to handle that than the state government. And that kind of sets a precedence, I think, as we continue through the Federalist Papers, that of ambassadors. And then the result of the administration, obviously, being that to take care of foreign affairs. Isn't that crazy that like that is not something that's done today, that something that was meant to be just the federal government to be that of foreign affairs, while the, nat while the state government takes care of domestic affairs. And now we have the foreign government and every single affair that we talk about. Hell, social issues aren't even exempt from that, let alone anything else. So I think the Federalist 3 supports a very old adage that united we fall, divided we stand. And that we are more, sorry, we are stronger as one nation than we are as three. And he does this again and he reinforces this idea. And when he speaks about Genoa and France, so he's quoted, and I will quote him one last time. In the year 1685, the state of Genoa, having offended Louis XIV, endeavored to appease him. He, he demanded that they send their doge, which would be like a prime minister, kind of like a, a leader of parliament, something of that. The chief magistrate accompanied by four senators to France to ask for his pardon. Um, and then they were obliged to continue to do this time and time again because Genoa was very, very small. And Louis XIV and Genoa knew that if France wanted to, and if Louis XIV wanted to, that France could destroy Genoa. And he says, they were obliged to submit for the sake of peace. Would he, on any other occasion, have demanded or have received the like humiliation from Spain, Britain, or any other powerful nation? So what Jay says there is that if Genoa was Britain, Spain, or any other powerful nation, would he have received that same result from them? And saying that, hey guys, like we don't want to be like Genoa. We don't want to be one that can be pushed around by other big governments. So that's Federalist 3. And in a nutshell, like it could go, we could dive way deeper into like what he meant and his hierarchy of the national and state government. But ultimately, Federalist 3, Jay says, hey guys, we are stronger as one nation 
than we will ever be under separate confederacies. And we need to recognize that. All right, guys. So on to the hearings. We'll cover some of them from yesterday and some of them from today. They're just continuing to go on. And honestly, in my opinion, they've become such a political stunt by the Democrats. We all know more than likely that um, Amy Coney Barrett is going to be confirmed by the Senate. And so the questions that the Democrats ask just try to further perpetrate their campaign ideas for Joe Biden. So Senator Feinstein asks if Amy Coney Barrett believes constitutionally that the president can delay the general election for whatever reason. And again, as you've seen through these hearings, um, Judge Barrett is trying to separate herself from the president and tries to explain that she will give a ruling if she's confirmed and that she's not going to s submit to giving one today. She's not going to lock in an answer based on what they want without looking at the rules of facts and things like that. So here is a clip of Judge Barrett simply saying that she's not going to be a political puppet. Does the Constitution give the President of the United States the authority to unilaterally delay a general election under any circumstances? Does federal law? Well, Senator, if that question ever came before me, I would need to hear arguments from the litigants and read briefs and consult with my law clerks and talk to my colleagues and go through the opinion writing process. So, you know, if, if I give off-the-cuff answers, then I would be basically a legal pundit. And I don't think we want judges to be legal pundits. I think we want judges to approach cases thoughtfully and with an open mind. Give us an insight. Um, the next questions come from Senator Booker and all of his prestige. Um... I don't understand why he says what he says. He says, oh, well, I don't know where these questions came from. They could have came from people on my constituencies, or they cannot. Hell, I don't even know if they're going to vote for me. Well, I'm on the ballot, but I don't know if they're going to vote for me. All right, man, you don't got to lie, okay? More than likely, the questions came from your constituents. Come on. Like, it's not that big of a deal. If they came from the people that are going to vote for you, then they came from the people that are going to vote for you. It is what it is. So he asks if Judge Barrett can empathize with the people that may lose health care if the Affordable Care Act is repealed. Um, I think that that is something that everyone can empathize with. Like no one in America wants you not to have health care. But all of us, what we don't want is a federal government cramming down that I have to have health care. And if I don't have health care, I have to purchase the health care that they provide. Nobody wants that. And so here's ACB talking about that with Booker's answer. All I'm asking is, can you empathize with that? Can you understand that? Senator, I can certainly empathize with people who are struggling. I can empathize with people who lack health care. You know, one of the things that was so striking to me when we went to get our daughter Vivian from the orphanage in Haiti was the lack of access to basic things like antibiotics. And it just made me appreciate 
the fact that we had access to healthcare. So I can certainly empathize with all of that. And with respect to the ACA, you know, should I be confirmed? And, and as I've said, I would consider the issue of recusal a threshold question of law and whether to hear that case. But should I be confirmed and should I sit and hear the case? As I assured you, I would consider all the arguments on both sides. And one of the important issues in that case is whether even if the mandate has become unconstitutional since it was zeroed out, whether it would be consistent with the will of Congress for the whole act to fall, it's a statutory question, not a constitutional one, or whether the mandate could be severed out and the rest of the act stand. And so the task So Booker then continues and presses even more that issue on whether or not she believes, let me, let me rewind, whether or not she's going to repeal the ACA as Trump has toted time and time again that he is nominating her because of her views on the Affordable Care Act. She drops a bombshell. And here it is, and then we'll talk about it. Is it unreasonable for people to fear putting yourself in the shoes of, of people? Is it unreasonable for the people that have been up here as, in their pictures? Is it unreasonable for them to fear that the ACA would be overturned if you were confirmed to the court? Well, Senator, I want to stress to you, Senator Booker, as I've stressed to some of your colleagues today, that I am my own person. I'm independent under Article 3, and, you know, I don't take orders from the executive branch or the legislative branch. I, I understand. She states that she will not be a puppet to the legislative and executive branches. And the Dems just can't accept that. Like, they're angry because that there's a chance that they will lose their legislative power from legislating from the bench if she's nominated. But I think that it is a good view for all of us Americans that Judge Barrett is openly stating that she is not going to be used as a puppet. She is not going to work or take orders from the legislative or executive branches. And she continues to try to separate herself from President Trump, which I think is a very, very smart decision. She said yesterday, and I think it holds true to today, that the Supreme Court is meant to be independent of the other two branches. And time and time again, as the barrages of questions from the Democrats come, she recuses herself from answering those 
because she's not going to lock in a question, I'm sorry, lock in an answer that then can later be used against her. So while speaking with Senator Booker, the question of whether or not President Trump should commit to a peaceful transition of power comes up. And of course, MSNBC is running with this because she won't give a direct answer on whether or not that she should. In a piece from MSNBC, Ellie Mistel is quoted saying, the fact that she couldn't give a simple answer to, to that is easily the most terrifying and disturbing thing to come out of today. Um, no. Absolutely no. First of all, the leftist media is doing what they always do, and it's that they continue to cut and paste portions of speeches, debates, news articles, emails, and whatever other medium they can find that suits their narrative. That just like I was astonished with her presidential debate, sorry, her vice presidential debate, I am, well, no, I'm not. I'm no longer astonished at the questions that she asks. So I don't understand how her questions have anything to do with race, but Harris starts asking questions regarding the ACA and how they affect black Americans and Latin Americans. However, nowhere in her questioning does she state how it could affect white Americans, English Americans, German Americans, Indian Americans, or any other race or ethnicity found using the Affordable Care Act. So Barrett answers the question on whether or not she will think about those people that are set to lose if the Affordable Care Act is repealed. Here she is. The 135 million people who gained protections under the Affordable Care Act when deciding uh, a case that challenges that law. Senator Harris, if I were to be confirmed and conclude that I was not, that I was able to sit on the case pursuant to the recusal statute, and then if I heard the case and decided the case, I would consider all the protections that Congress put in place. And as I said earlier, um, earlier during this hearing, the question would be figuring out whether Congress, assuming that the mandate is unconstitutional now, whether that consistent with your intent, you know, this is Congress's law, would permit this uh, act to stand or whether the flawed portion of it could just be excised out. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Judge Barrett to commit to ruling in a certain way. Like I said, that can later be used against her. And I think that ACB is doing a really, really good job not giving them those answers. And she's holding true to the Constitution, holding true to the, the canons of the like, judicial branch, and that she is to remain impartial. And she makes judgments based on facts, not emotions. So after ACB gave that response, Senator Harris once again tries to push the questioning on whether or not she would give her ruling right now. State today on record what and how she would rule if confirmed on the ACA. ACB fires back. Here she is. So the law often takes into account reliance interests. I can't really say sitting here 
how they would play in or way in this case because that's part of the legal calculus of the case. So I can't really give you the kind of commitment or pre-commitment that you're asking for me of how I would weigh factors or how I would structure my decision-making process. So that was ACB stating how she's not going to answer that right now, that if confirmed, she will use facts and precedent and everything else that goes into stare decisis to make her decision. And you can see on Senator Harris's face that she is not happy with this whatsoever. So on to the news of today and of the hearing today. They're going to continue. And from what I've seen, obviously it's 3 p.m. here when I'm recording it. There's still a lot of the hearing left to go. I have not seen anything that is crazy that sets some wild changing landslide. The senators and the Democrats are going to continue to try and push Biden's narrative and their leftist agenda inside the questions that they ask. Senator, I'm sorry, Judge Barrett, and the Republican senators are going to continue to try to defend that. And then ultimately, we will probably have a confirmation of Senator Barrett. I'm sorry, of Judge Barrett. Jesus, I can't talk. So one thing I do think that came from today is that somehow the Merriam-Webster definition of sexual preference has changed. So Merriam-Webster has updated their definition and their fifth definition of one of sexual preference from being orientation to that of being offensive. In the hearing, Senator Hirono blasted Judge Barrett on this, stating of her improper use of the word and how offensive it is for her to use the word sexual preference. Here she is. Coupled with your use of the term sexual pre preference, coupled with your view on precedence and that a justice's view or her own analysis of the constitutionality uh, should overtake or overcome um, precedence if it's in conflict. So I guess now we're just going to label words regardless of what it is. If we find it offensive, we're just going to change the whole, whole de dictionary definition of the word, which is preposterous at best. Like preference and orientation are synonymous. I am a heterosexual male. And if I prefer women, that is because my sexual orientation is women. If you are a gay male and you are a homosexual male, and you prefer men, then your sexual preference is also your sexual orientation. You believe that. Those are two synonymous words. They are, no, they are not offensive. It is just definition. And just because you cannot accept the facts does not believe or mean that we change the entire definition of a word to suit the social justice warriors that are not happy about it. So on to what I think is the biggest news of today, which is the Biden scandal. So as you all know, the Senate had launched a probe and investigation into the Biden family's involvement with Burisma and the $3.8 million that Hunter Biden received from the Moscow mayor. In a report today from Fox News, written by Brooke Singman, she 
She reports, the emails in question were obtained by the New York Post and revealed that Biden's son introduced the vice president to a top executive at Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings less than a year before he pressured government officials in Ukraine to fire prosecutor Viktor Shokin, who was investigating the company. So what does that actually mean? Well, first thing, I think it can mean that we can now say that Joe Biden has lied to the American people and that he was involved with Shokin, he was involved in Burisma, and that his family was involved directly into the Burisma scandal. Second, I think that it goes even further to rise the question of why did Moscow mayor pay Hunter Biden $3.8 million in the midst of Shokin and being fired and the American government pressuring the American government and the Obama administration pressing for Shokin to get fired. That report goes even farther, saying that in May of 2014, Vader, I'm going to screw this name up just so you know, don't judge me on it, don't hold me accountable for it, Vadim Pashaskiri asking Hunter, in quote, advice on how you could use your influence, in quote, in a later email in April of 2017, that same individual, in quote, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honor and a pleasure. So these emails seem like harmless. They seem like they don't represent anything. But in order to understand that, we have to go back to the fact that the prosecutor Shokin was investigating Burisma. Then a member of that Burisma, of Burisma then came to America at apparently the request of Hunter Biden, who's being paid millions of dollars by Burisma, came to America and met with Joe Biden, whose administration under the Obama administration then pushed for Victor Shokin, who was investigating Burisma, to be fired. Um... That is some wild shit, my people. That is absolutely wild. So what ramifications do I think it has? Well, I think that it could potentially be devastating for Joe Biden and his campaign, like, frankly, like, especially if in swing voters, in swing states where it may be on the fence on whether or not they're going to vote for Trump or Biden, learning that Biden lied to the American people and directly had affairs with a foreign entity, therefore for his son to be able to make millions of dollars for a job that he was unqualified to do could be devastating and downright should be. You should not be using your political influence to enrich your family. I think second that it, and even more so, an even more problem with it is it, it poses a potential security risk. It really, really does. Like, you are engaging in a foreign entity that is being investigated by a foreign government at what odds, and then receiving millions of dollars for doing it. That is a national security risk if I have never seen one before. All right, but like I said, what it really leaves like open 
is the question on where and why did the mayor of Moscow give $3.8 million to Hunter Biden? We can speculate all we want. We can say it whatever we want. But until we figure that out, that is a question that needs to be asked and needs to be pushed on every level of government. Local government should be questioning it. Your state government should be questioning it. The federal government should be questioning it. And until we have an answer, I don't think that question has been rightly answered. Until we figure out why, that question has not been rightly answered. And the American people deserve an answer. Well, probably not to Biden because he doesn't even think the American people deserve an answer on how he or what his stance is on packing the court if Judge Barrett is confirmed and somehow the Democrats do win the election. Um, and just finally, a side note, Obama is finally joining the Biden campaign. I guess when you're hurting bad enough, you bring in good old President Obama to try to win you that race for you. So in a report from ABC News, the former president, Obama, plans to hit the trail soon, in addition to all the other activities that he has undertaken. Uh, I haven't seen many actions taken by the former president in support of Joe Biden. Hell, it wasn't until recently that President Obama even supported or gave his endorsement to Joe. So I think it is very hard to say that President Obama is doing great things for the Biden campaign. Nonetheless, when asked prior to going to Florida, Biden told reporters, in quote, he's doing enough for our campaign. He'll be out on the trail and he's doing well. Um, like I said, I don't really know what he's doing because I haven't seen anything. And if the Democrats are hurting that bad, they think that they got to pull President Obama out of his pocket. I think that that shows great, great news for the Republican Party and for the American people. Second, for all that Biden's worried about the coronavirus and the outbreak, he's up to the ante in the campaign trail going to, in the past week, going to Arizona, Florida, and Pennsylvania, all which are battleground states, which I don't think are turning out very well for him. As we all know, that in Arizona, Joe said that he would destroy every foundation. Well, he didn't say. He refused to answer whether or not he would destroy the foundations of the American government and the values the American people hold if ACB is confirmed and then him and the despised Senator Kamala Harris are elected as president and vice president of the United States. They will absolutely pack the court is the answer. They will absolutely destroy the American foundation. They will absolutely destroy the American values because those are the only things that stop them from their endeavor and relentless pursuit for power. All right, guys, so that's going to be it for today. Um, the, the, sorry, the um, hearings with ACB will continue um, and news will continue to come out. Like I said, I record this at 3 p.m. and so the hearings are, are still ongoing. With that being said, tomorrow I leave for drill. For those of you who don't know, I'm also a um, member of the National Guard. And so I drill all weekend this weekend. So I will not be hosting a podcast over these three days a weekend. 
When I come back Sunday, I will catch up on all the news and prepare the podcast for Monday where we'll go into everything that we may have missed over the weekend. With that being said, you can find me. I will still have my phone. You can find me. Excuse me. I'm so sorry about that. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram. The links are going to be right up there um, at the top of my page. I will also link them down in the description below. And just make this come on and hang out, man. You have questions for me? Let me know. Let me down, know down in the comments if you need anything. And as always, you can find me also anywhere you watch your podcast iTunes, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Pandora, and on Podbean. Ask me any questions that you have there. And thank you for allowing me to bring you a conservative voice in the media. And as always, thanks for watching and God bless you all.